All right, you are listening to episode number 66 of the Holy Ruckus podcast with Anthony Esser. Loved by God was a recent blog article that was uh, submitted through the Holy Ruckus. So we thank Anthony for being with us. He is a longtime friend and contributor of the Ruckus. And so that is the conversation we are having today. We are talking about LGBT Catholics. How can they coexist? How can we learn to love them and embrace them? How can we um, continue to make that ride all the way up to heaven together? Is that possible? Tony's going to talk all about that. Um, but first, let you know that if you like what you hear, go ahead and drop a five-star review. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is. Help the world find out about the ruckus and all the goodness that is coming out of this content. Also, go ahead and like, follow, subscribe at all our uh, social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at the Holy Ruckus, and for more of these blogs, podcasts, and videos, head over to theholyruckus.com. Thanks so much for listening. Here we go, episode sixty-six. We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. Why were you made? I was made to be happy. The way to be happy is to know truth. For love, goodness. In other words, I am made for God. Pero quiero lío en las dioses. Quiero que se salga afuera. You are now listening to the Holy Ruckus Podcast. Yay, big applause. You added Papa. Papa Benedicto. Yes, I did. Um, let's bring him in. Uh, it is not just us today, Father. It is me, you, and Anthony Esser. Welcome. Here we go. Boom. Hey, how's it going? I told you I'd bring you back. <laughs> I was backstage, man. There you go. <laughs> Guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Father, you and I do this. We're uh, we're pretty pretty frequent in the social mediums every uh, every week. Uh, doing the Holy Ruckus podcast, but now we have a special guest, a good friend of the show, a good friend of ours, and a part of the Holy Ruckus, a contributor regularly, um, Mr. I know him as, as Tony Esser, so, you know, golf class for you, man. Thanks so much for being a part of this. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm, like, really psyched to be here. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Tony, I'm not going to treat you any different than I would any of my kids or any of my other guests. We're talking rapid fire questions. This is what we do, man, and Usually they, they're going to end up as like, you know, uh, you know, little softball questions, you know, like very just easy and they're going to be like, yes or no, but who knows? It, it, we'll see what it is. We'll see what it is. So otherwise um, we'll begin here. All right. So, um, and, and I'll put some graphics in here. I'll put some sound, sound effects. Rapid fire. now um word association whatever i say i want you to come up with something your wife says hey babe um, <laughs> she's trying to throw me off but i'm ready i'm there ready i'm go. not letting her get my head rapid fire rapid fire one, all, right. Um, all right here goes um your most um once upon a time i know that you were a big emo cat what's your favorite emo band okay so if i'm like to reach into the depths i'm gonna say like say 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 yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. I love Sayosin. That's good. Okay. Region back. Um, Franciscan University. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, f- households. Households. Okay. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Um, let's say uh, favorite pope. Francis. Okay. 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 Um, you believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in the Church and everything she teaches? I do. There you go. Just making sure, I, I, folks, I know you were thinking, you saw the headline, you know, loved by God, you, you thought, oh no, is this Hey, we got to check all the boxes here. Folks, we got it. All right, we got it. We got it. All right. Um, Your most controversial film that's your favorite, like that most people hate. But you oh, jeez, this is a great question. Uh, now, is he allowed to say Sister Act 2. I just had a friend the other day give me a hard time. I love Sister Act 2. <laughs> there you go. Father, do these resonate at all with you? I would have said The Room, because, but I don't know. Like, that's, that's supposed to be one that's terrible that you're you're supposed to like, right? It's like... Oh, wait, The Room. Like Foster? No, 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 no. The Tommy Wiseau film. No! Oh, yes! Oh, my God. Hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, Yo, it, it took some convincing to get my wife to watch that with me. It is so I good. It's good reason. Amazing. It's tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> no, oh. I did not. If we get if we get in any trouble today, like well, if we, if it's, we it's official. I have cancer. <laughs> oh my gosh! I know of all the things. Oh my gosh! Okay, okay. Um, on the flip side, um, your least favorite movie of faith. Least my favorite. least favorite movie. Oh, yeah, of faith. Uh, what was that one? Uh, courageous. Was it one of the one of the like Kirk Cameron ones? What was that early Kirk Cameron one? Was it courageous? Or was Left Behind series? Is he he did do the Left Behind series, but he was in that. What was that? That one about marriage? That early one. Comment section. Let us know. Um, Kirk Cameron was in a movie where I think it was Kirk Cameron. Wife. He yells at his wife. Oh. Remember, they're like getting into it, but then he does. He's like at the fire department, like trying to get his act fireproof? together. Fireproof. Fireproof, yes. Fireproof. Fireproof. Thank you. And and ladies and gentlemen, as you're listening, what is your least favorite movie of faith that maybe everybody loves and you're just like, mm, is it though? Is it good though? Like you never know. <laughs> so there you go. Uh father, I I'll ask you, even though you're here too. Um, what's your least favorite movie of faith? I would I mean, I could probably get some really nasty comments if I mentioned which veggie tales I didn't appreciate. Um, <laughs> But I'll just keep it. I'll keep it real. Um, so one that one that really, really was hard for me to get through um, as a youngster. That now operates like it, it now is probably like more nostalgic. The bells of St. Mary's. Um, it's like an old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's but it's not like. It's not like Bing is I'm used to him. It's not like White Christmas Bing or, or uh, like right. singing, you know. Okay. So on the, on the other side then, okay, what's your favorite faith movie, Tony? My favorite movie of faith? Okay, actually, yeah. So I have a new one. I don't know if, if people would categorize it as this, but um, uh, A Hidden Life. Oh. It was a movie that was released re- in the past couple years, I think. Um, same guy, the director's 
escaping my mind did brad pitts uh was in it a tree the tree of life um kind of very known for the like slow artsy kind of like voiceover type movie but it's about um a hidden life it's about a guy in nazi occupied austria who's um who's asked to like take an oath of fealty to uh the third reich and the one that just came out yeah, it, yeah. well it, it, it came out in the past like year or two but i watched it i wanted to watch it during lent but we just like didn't we ended up like not having the time or whatever we watched it just after and i tell you what like um i know people make a big um a tradition of watching like the passion of the christ during holy week i think that that movie is as good as any reflection on during holy week because the the passion that he goes through having to like make this decision um to potentially sacrifice his life and everything that goes along with that is um it's it's pretty heavy but like very meditative like the movie itself is really beautiful okay it did come out within the last year that was uh terrence malick yes terrence malick thank you that's yager Um, if you're ever looking for another movie Check well out Marcelino Panivino. I don't know if it's it's one. I've heard of it. Yeah, Marcelino yeah. Panivino. It's this little boy who goes and brings bread and wine to Statue Jesus, who comes alive. It's, oh. it's wild. And the funniest part is when he gets little boy gets stung by a scorpion. I die every time. I die every time. <laughs> anyway, anyway. I mean, I and then the priest I think sucks out the venom or something. Like he lives. He lives. Marco Panini. Marcelino Panivino. Panivino. We we sold that one at the at the Basilica bookstore when I, I worked there. My, okay, so in my short bio, I was gonna say, and he worked at the Basilica bookstore. Why are Catholic books so expensive? Can you just help me out? I think it's like any brick and mortar bookstore. I don't necessarily think Catholic books themselves are expensive unless you're talking about someone who's like self-published or it's like a smaller publisher where they just can't afford to like give big at cost discounts or something. But um, I think that's more the reason. What was my discount? I don't don't remember what the like employee discount was. It better be 50. I I don't want to. Come on. Basilica National Shrine Bookstore Basilica. No, well, I'll tell you what the the cuz we had the bookstore oh, and then the it. gift shop across the across the foyer and the the bookstore you can't you can't like mark up that much. So we it wasn't like this a 50% discount cuz you know, that's a part of the thing with books is like we're not making that much money on on book sales. You hook up at the cafeteria? Oh, you know it. Yeah. What? There you go. I get those mashed potatoes. I used to get the breakfast, breakfast uh, like hash, uh, potatoes and, and eggs and stuff. That was my jam. There you go. All right, let's talk about bisexuality. Um, ladies and gentlemen, no. well, what are we doing? Well, who let's do, we do it. Let's do it. Let's get into it, man. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. So I got my boys, my boys, both my boys, my friends, uh, on here on the podcast with me. But uh, let me do it proper. And you passed, by the way. The word association went way longer than it needed to. So whatever. Um, how I hope I it was so worth it, everyone. It was very worth it. After earning, it, it like humanizes you. <laughs> After earning his bachelor's in catechetics from Franciscan, Anthony has worked with youth and young adult ministry, most recently for the ADW for the Archdiocese of Washington as coordinator of parish evangelization. He serves as the chairman of the Paulist Reconciliation Ministries Board say that like really really fast and is it and has volunteered with eden eden invitation a ministry and community for young adults who experience same-sex desires he has co-hosted a podcast about friendship called better with you check that out and is um 
working as a freelance photographer and graphic designer. His work can be found on anthonyesser.com. He is recently and is a longstanding, from the beginning of starting and launching the Holy Ruckus, he has contributed blogs and he has recently published uh, a personal essay called Love by God. And my emails have not been the same ever since. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, my man. Um, yeah, no problem. And thanks for taking that bullet for me. And oh, it was yeah, really sure. and you know an what? important Actually, conversation. You know, it's it's father's fault that you're here because he really, you know, his curiosity was piqued. And <laughs> uh, and so very good. Father, <laughs> what do you got for my man? Like, I mean, what do you got? Opening statements. Like, oh man. What are we doing so, here? Why is the topic? A word of thanks to uh to Tony for joining us today and giving us um the opportunity, especially on this platform to share even more of your heart. So you, you poured out your heart into this um, article, which is also um, posted on both uh, your your blog and then uh, the Holy Ruckus blog as well. So if if uh, listeners haven't checked it out, you know, after this conversation or simultaneously along with this conversation, um, you can look up Love by God, which is um, the by is a, is a play on word. It, it's a reference to your own, um, journey in life, your own vocation, your own um, learn, learning to live and, and accept and, and love God as a bisexual man. So can we, can we reference um, the fact that this is, <laughs> this is not your typical version of our podcast here, and it's maybe not one that people are, are like all that excited about tuning in for because it, it can be kind of intimidating. Do you feel any of that intimidation factor when you share on this, when, when you talk from your heart on this topic? Yeah, of course, I, <laughs> for sure. I think that unfortunately, um, there's like a lot of pressure put on people um, when they talk openly about being a sexual minority, um, whether that's I might lose my job, I might be ostracized my, for my community in some way, um, including my family. I mean, the largest um proportion of young homeless people are LGBTQ uh, young people. Uh, and that's been for such a long time. And, um, uh, or, or even just facing some of the kind of scrutiny, um, you know, that we might talk about here a little bit. Um, but I think like something that's important for me to kind of share going into this discussion is like someone, someone recently told me this quote that unfortunately I really don't know the source of, um, where they talk about like, we're lucky being in the church. Uh, we have these kind of like guardrails of church teaching of the, of church doctrine. Right. And so, but there's this whole road between those guardrails that we can walk in our journey of faith um, and in, and in trying to learn how to navigate um, issues like this, or, you know, complicated issues like sexuality or racism or anything else. And mm -hmm. there's room in that whole road for different approaches, different paths, different journeys, um, and the church has a huge history of development of doctrine, of having different perspectives and spiritualities and approaches to things. That's why we have stuff like spiritual direction. So people can like navigate and find like, what is the way that God is calling me personally um, to walk, to walk things. But, um, but I think that, you know, like one example is like, I use the term bisexual to describe my sexual orientation. And a lot of people in, in the church, and I've received this feedback even since publishing the article um, is that that's like the language of the world. Um, and like using that language, like identifies with, with sin rather than my place in Christ's family or whatever. And, um, and I think we can like have that language about, I'm not necessarily here to like debate why I think it's 
descriptive language and and we can we could go into that but i think more importantly is to understand that that's not like a matter of orthodoxy right like for me to use that word doesn't contradict anything within church teaching um and so i think that like you know we need to approach these conversations with with courage you know and honesty um and also uh, a sense of of mercy you know because i think people can also just be like uncomfortable right like we use the term homophobia and i think wisely so because um i think a lot of where that scrutiny comes from or a lot of uncharity or discrimination is from a place of fear um and it could be fear of a lot of different things um but but i think it is it is a place of fear and so i think we go if we go into these conversations um with with a sense of courage i think that that we can see a lot more uh, we just we just benefit a lot like for example and I'll pass it back to you, but I want to give this other example. Um, I have a friend who's who identifies as gay and is Catholic, and because he's committed to being single, he's not like dating or giving his time to to a girlfriend or a wife. So he instead he visits the neonatal intensive care unit um, at at a hospital around him, and he volunteers to like hold the babies there. And he also dresses as a superhero and visits the kids in the cancer center. I mean, this is a person whose witness is like definitely deserves to be shared right and i think when we create an environment of like fear and and disproportionate scrutiny um on people we miss out on like seeing the beautiful ways that people are making god's love present and the ways that he's working in in people's lives like that amen i love that image of the road you evoked because i mean that's kind of it, it immediately calls to mind like the idea of walking with jesus on the road to emmaus you know there's definitely there's definitely boundaries to it, you know, and, and we're we're going to keep our conversation on that road, you know, within within those rails, um, because we know that broad and wide is the road that, that leads to uh, destruction. But the one that leads to, to freedom, it still has room for us to walk side by side along one one another, because if Jesus is showing us the way, that's that's the way he's done. And, and on that road, the real fact quick. that you, oh, no. you have received pushback on like the idea that your um, your identification, your use of a descriptor is like, uh, I guess one of the things, one of the very things that people can't seem to, to agree on. It's like a barrier of entry to having this conversation. I think a lot of people um, just don't want to talk about this sort of thing because of the, the discomfort level, but then also like the well, what language do we use? Do we use person, you know, based language, you know, or, or does it help us just get to the cut to the chase when we know who you are and, and part of your story, even from a single, the use of a single word, you yourself mentioned this in, in your article that it, it's like at times you're not sure even how to go about sharing, you know, um, your own, your own story or the words that you were given, uh, come from you know a place of um mem a memory of pain you know but then also of that pain being healed so can you can you tell us um just right right off from the get-go like what's that what's the happiest um most blessed part of of your journey that you've experienced so that people can kind of be encouraged that this is this is one of hope an overwhelming message of hope 
Yeah, I think that's such a great question because I really do think that a lot of times we enter into these discussions with that. Um, like, for example, some of the language that was really popular as I was growing up is this notion of struggling with same-sex attraction. And um, and certainly there like, have been a lot of struggles and everyone has struggles in their faith journey. Um, but I am at a place now of like personal integration that I don't really see myself as struggling, particularly with my sexual orientation. Um, and I think instead, like, I appreciate the question because that's so much of my mission in speaking about my experience is to call people to hope and and you know we're we're a, a resurrection people right and so, and so talking about what what is beautiful and how God is is uh, calling us to to fulfilled life no matter what our experience and I think for me um, seeing in recent years as I've become more involved in communities of people of who identify as LGBT or same-sex attracted who are Christian and seeing, like I gave that example of, um, of the guy who has that like beautiful witness and volunteers in that beautiful way. But there's so many other people who, whether they're, um, you know, Catholic people or Christian people who um, serve as pastors or volunteers um, and in, in different ways and the ministry that they do, not only to support other people, um, with a similar experience, but, but just to support each other as a community, um, and to, to find healing from those difficult experiences where they may have experienced discrimination in the past, um, to call people on, um, and, and just to like walk in the Lord. Like, I think we have this perception that people, you know, that are in a sexual minority, it's like, oh, we have this, like, again, we coming back to the fear. I think a lot of parents have this fear when my child comes out to me, oh my gosh, they're going to be lost. And that's where a lot of this, like, don't use that language of the world. Don't do this. Don't, don't become friends with another gay person. It's this fear that we're going to lose them to, um, to a certain like sexual behavior or something that, that we, that we think isn't, um, is, is sinful. But I think that, there's, again, there's this huge cloud of witnesses of people who have this experience like me, but are so faithful and just like even separate from this experience have a beautiful, um, have a beautiful witness of faith. And so I think that's what's brought me so much joy is I went on a retreat last year um, with, with one of these communities of people and just like singing praise and worship with them and reading scripture. And it had like not even necessarily anything to do with our um, experience of sexual minorities, but just being together with people who love the Lord um, and, and then this was a moment of shared experience was really beautiful. So if I may, Tony, yeah. um, on this road with you and even in your experience, even recently, you're not, you're not alone. I mean, obviously, you know, church and that, but you're not alone in the real sense because we should have said in the beginning, um, you're, you're married, you know, you're, you're married yeah, yeah. beautiful wife, Casey and, uh, and your kids talk about that and how that's changed, uh, or amplified or just the witness, right. That you're, that you're giving now as a, as a husband, as a father, you know, in the sacrament of marriage, like. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is important like to, to bring that up both because um, there's a lot that I've learned in, in being a married person and, and living out that vocation. And also to point out like what we've not specifically mentioned, that is like my experience is very particular, my experience. There's a lot of people who um, are, choosing to live a celibate life as a way to pursue their vocation or who are living in some kind of intentional community um, or even committed friendships and different things. And so, um, so my experience is my experience. It's not to say it doesn't apply to some things we don't share 
Um, but, um, but I'm, I'm just sensitive to that, but yeah, my, my wife, um, is incredibly supportive. Um, maybe even sometimes more than, um, she's even more eager for me to, um, share and be open and kind of pursue God's will for me in the, in the uncomfortable ways that, you know, even before I feel ready, you know, she, she sees and has encouraged me in those things. Um, which is again, awesome because other people sometimes have like projected that fear. Like, well, have you thought about what's your wife going to say or what? And then I'm, I want to be like, man, you don't know her. <laughs> like, you don't know how God is working in our life. Like, you know, we, we have prayed and talked and, 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 uh, spent time together and we move into stuff like this conversation, um, very much on the same page. Um, but by the time that, um, like we've, we've had this conversation about my sexuality long before we were married too, is an important thing to note. Um, you know, like, you, the, like everyone, the first months and even years of our dating life, um, we were kind of gradually getting to know each other. And, um, and that was a part of myself I shared, um, with her early on. And, uh, and by the time we got married, she, as she would tell you, as she told me that she loved this part of me, um, just as she loved every other part of me and she didn't marry me in spite of it. Um, she married every, every part of who I am. Um, now, obviously that said you, when you, you know, enter into a marriage, you give a part of your sexuality exclusively to your spouse. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's like, however, you know, like everyone desires some level of, of intimacy, even outside of their marital relationship. And like, that's important. So, so I think there's this like bigger image too, of like, what, what does intimacy mean? And like, where do we talk about intimacy versus sexuality? Um, so that so that's something I think as we were preparing for marriage and entering into marriage, it was exploring like as I pursue this relationship of intimacy, how does it give me just like a fuller understanding of like what intimacy is and how that relates to sexuality and my particular experience of sexuality. Um, so um, I've been lucky to like have someone so supportive and and so faith filled to navigate that that journey with me. Well, you really said a couple of my favorite uh, buzzwords there. Um, you've already used community commu or communion um, and intimacy. I, I find that the latter is especially, it's like both really well known, like everybody thinks we know what we're talking about when we, we're saying like, oh, being intimate with one another, like that certainly is a euphemistic expression. Um, but it kind of drives home the, the reality that Actually, no, we don't. We're not on the same page most of the time when we're talking about intimacy, especially in a Christian uh, context informed by the gospel, really modeling the, the kind of intimacy that Christ himself offers his own beloved. You know, he has, uh, of course, his closest friends and a special relationship with the 12. But then even within the 12, there's like uh, a, a subset of, you know, his relationship with James and John and Peter. And then he calls John of those three, the beloved disciple. And um, which is to say nothing of like, you know, how, how close he must have felt to his mother, to Mary Magdalene, to Lazarus, to Mary and Martha, all that to say that, how come, <laughs> how come I'm going to throw you under the bus? Um, but although I, I don't think uh, you'll be surprised by this because you, you talk about this, you know, this desire for intimacy is a desire to share the wholeness of our human personhood, which doesn't exclude the gift of human sexuality from the Lord. It's not like that part goes in brackets and is only used 
at specific times in our lives in so far as every single one of us has possesses the gift of sexuality it allows us to experience intimacy in different ways with different people tony why why is this topic reduced to a whole bunch of you know don't you do that like don't be, don't be touching that don't be doing the, you can't do this you can't do that i mean like thou shalt not have their place right we have right. The, the ninth commandments for a reason but why is the whole conversation often reduced to this one thing of just like well you don't do that right like you ain't been doing that stuff right yeah i think it's like such a good question and i think a lot of us um in, in my generation kind of grew up in the like purity culture of the nineties and stuff and, and see examples of how that's lived out of like, you know, even community as men in like a men's talk, the, the center of that community was how are you supporting each other in not doing this stuff? You know, mm -hmm. is like, are you supporting each other and holding each other accountable? Um, when it comes to living chastity in this very particular type of way, as opposed to like understanding, like how do we talk about our experience of sexuality in a, in a comfortable way? Um, you know, like how do we communicate at all? You know, like we're, we're being told to like uh, have these like accountability relationships when like young teenage boys don't know how to talk, you know, let alone talk about like their sexual feelings. But that being the negative, the, I had this really profound experience in confession one time. I'll give a, a positive example and then kind of go into to maybe a, a better way to, to start thinking about this. Is um, I went to confession with this Franciscan priest in D.C. And besides my sins, obviously, I shared with him my experience of living as a, as a sexual minority um, within the church and some of my kind of frustrations. And, and his response was in part like, just that many in the church don't have a mature sense um, of sexuality. And until we develop a better perspective, we're going to keep making mistakes um, and hurting people like you and, and people in your situation. And like, that was such like a touching and profound experience for me to experience such like humility um, from a priest of the church. Um, but I mean, he was right. Like in terms of like how we talk about sexuality, especially same sex attraction um, or homosexuality, we do so in like such limited terms, right? John Paul II, I think, talked about um, the, and you can correct me if I'm like misquoting him, but talked about the problem with pornography, about like it, it does, it's not, it, the problem with it is not that it shows too much, but that it shows too little. And I almost think, and I'm going to get like attacked for this, but I mean, hope maybe it'll shake it up a little bit. I think the way that we as a, as a church culture talk about sexuality is kind of pornographic, right? We talk about sex. We talk about like sexual intercourse and sex acts, and that's how we understand sexuality. And it's the problem with that is not that it's, is not that it's too much or too graphic, but it's that it shows too little. It's the same problem. Our understanding and approach to sexuality, if we really want to have a, a deep theology of the body in the way that we actually accompany people, should follow John Paul II's example, and it should include more. Um, you know, and that and that's be, and that's evident in just how we live, our human experience, right? Sexuality is all about how we relate to other people, how we show affection to our parents, a sibling, a close friend, you know, and that's also going to vary by our culture, right? And so there's not like we we sometimes have like set up these strict rules, um, but that's 
but that's all it's a false um premise you know because this is all about intimacy a way of finding it and and in a way that corresponds to our values our understanding of goodness and truth right um and and so to kind of like build off of that idea of intimacy and feel free to just like to jump in but um we already talked about we already talked about my wife casey Right. And uh, and we brought up this idea of like intimacy and sexuality. So as we as her and I were like preparing for marriage, we uh, we took these uh, these NFP classes. Josh, my man knows what I'm talking about. NFP, right. Natural family planning. And um, and one of the things that they talked to us about um, was because, of course, part of the premise of natural family planning is that if you're trying to uh, if you discern to avoid becoming pregnant and you're reading signs and things, what you do is abstain from having sex. Right. And, um, and so the practitioner as a part of just their program talks about, um, this, this thing called spice, which is, is an acronym for other ways to find intimacy with your partner during those times of abstinence. And so spice stood for spiritual, physical, intellectual, creative, um, and emotional intimacy. Um, so, uh, so what I wonder looking back on that experience is like why we can't have that broad of an understanding of intimacy, um, you know, out, outside of that discussion. Like, why can't we apply that broad and rich discussion of intimacy, understanding of intimacy and sexuality? Um, because there's still like sexuality at play there too. It's not divorced from sexuality. You know, it's like our sexual desires, um, are not, are not always lustful, but they're just this magnetic feeling that draws us towards other people and how we engage with those, um, it, how we, how we fulfill that desire for intimacy with people, whether it's physical affection or, um, or prayer even, or creative intellectual discussion, um, is, is really important. It's super, it's very natural. It's supernatural, but it's also very natural, um, and is also something available to people of the same sex, right? I still have intimacy with my father, with my close male friends, you know, with with mentors, um, and that can even be physical intimacy, right? Of showing affection and, um, and and everything else. So I think that 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 is kind of like I would love for us to reframe broadly the discussion of sexuality, but especially when we talk about um, sexual minorities and issues of sexuality, that we come into it. Um, understanding that sexuality is more than just sex or even sex acts, but is this desire for intimacy and this magnetism that draws us to other people. Say more. Gosh, that's amen. Like preach brother. That's like, I think all that sex is sexy. So like what gets the most attention is like the, the, the genital expression of it or like the, the acts themselves, but it's a very limited way. Like, just like you said, it's, um, so this may be a poor comparison, but um, it's definitely been the experience of many a seminarian, myself included, um, while discerning celibacy, that revealing this part of my life, you know, at, at any given time to some of my peers, you know, classmates in college or whatever, would, would like open up the immediate and, and, and but like still very stunted question of like, hey, you're, you're just not going to have sex. That's just it. Like that's that's it for you or what? Like, I was like, yeah, well, there's a whole lot more to it than just than that, you know. But if I may, that that I feel opens the door for these conversations with people of any walk of life, couples like you're like you and Casey in 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 marriage prep, you know, who learn NFP and other ways to uh, 
express intimacy with one another, but the intimacy of, you know, friendship also raises questions. If we really believe what we say we believe, like whenever we pray the, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, right? That is itself <laughs> a mouthful and, and the product of like our, our gradual understanding that Christ himself was like us in every way except for sin. Like that's the Chalcedonian formula of like our, so Christ right. experienced intimacy and the integration of his entire personhood. So it's entirely possible to imagine like, tenth graders. How did how did Christ do spice? <laughs> right. How was the spice of life in well, Christ? Well, I think life? the real question there is like, how did Christ experience sexuality, right? And like nobody wants to talk about that. Um, but I think that's that's perhaps like the example. That's like the question, right? Because if sexuality and and by extension sexual orientation is all about a desire for sex acts with other people that inevitably leads to lust, which is really a lot of what that's the extra connection we make with people in sexual minorities is not only is a desire for sex acts, but it inevitably leads to lust and is, and is in itself disordered because it's so focused on, on these sinful sex acts. But, but we, if we, if that's how we think of sex in that limited and kind of, and direct and narrow terms, then, then talking about Christ sexuality becomes really weird, right? We don't want to think about, Christ wanting sex with other humans, you know, but if we think about this broader experience of sexuality as a desire for intimacy with others, well, of course, that's incredibly biblical. That's like a gospel reality that Christ, as you mentioned, had a beloved disciple or that he wept for his friend Lazarus, right? Um, or that, you know, his, his desire to, to gather apostles to himself or have favored followers or friends, I mean, as, as, a, as God, but that's his experience of humanity um, is is grounded in, in a sexuality and a magnetism that draws other people. Now, I don't know what exactly that looks like. Obviously, none of us do on this side of heaven. Um, but but again, as you said, if he's like us in all things but sin, then one can imagine, you know, he had gender. He was also a sexual being. And that's not icky or gross or blasphemous. You know, it's just the human reality. And so how do we reconcile that? How do we view sexuality now is something that is holy. I'm fascinated that you're also, you know, this co-host of a podcast um, on friendship. Is that is that one of the ways to a more holistic understanding of ourselves as a communion of persons, the, a, a fuller recovery of philia, the love of, of friendship? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I... I, I love that you brought up my podcast. We only, we had a meager nine episodes, but I, I love doing it. And in fact, I um, I recorded uh, another interview that I didn't end up releasing, but definitely will at some point. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do something through the Holy Ruckus um, that was with a Mother Superior for um, the Discalc Carmelites, kind of south of of where I live, and interviewed her because I wanted the perspective on friendship. Of it, it wasn't a it wasn't a Catholic podcast. It was on friendship in general. So we had all kinds of different people on, but I wanted that perspective, not only of, um, of someone in, in, in a religious, with a religious background, but someone in a, in a cloister, right? Where community is such a, a focus of their lives. And yet it's also such a particular kind of community and expression of community. And, um, and, and I tell you like, 
perhaps the most joyful people that I've ever met in my life are religious sisters in Cloister. And that's so contrary to how like we often understand like joy and happiness and pleasure and like is to be in the world and to be taking advantage of everything that life has to offer us. And yet like these um, men and women who live community together and find through their incredibly focused prayer lives, deep intimacy with the Lord, um, they're like so joyful. I mean, they just radiate um, um, joy with from people who come to visit them. And so I think that and so that's what I discussed with her was this like idea of, of of relationships within the convent. And in a lot of ways, their relationships are very ordinary um, in, in some of the like problems they have to navigate relating to each other. And yet like the deep, deep love that they they have for each other as well. Um, and and it's also a committed love, right? In living in the kind of community that they have, they have particular um, boundaries on their way of life that honor God's um, will for their lives. They, you know, we call, we talk about vocation, right? Um, and so I think that a lot of people kind of coming back to the specific discussion about people in a sexual minority um, seek out not only friendships for the sake of having intimacy, you know, that they desire with same-sex people that we desire um, with same-sex people, but, but, um, but also forming sometimes those committed friendships or intentional communities that bring that that mutual support um, and and discernment into a, into a more um, formal kind of committed supportive situation, and that I mean that idea of like committed friendships or, or celibate partnerships is is kind of a hot topic. Of course, um, I don't know if we want to get into it, but but in a sense, like we have those communities of of committed um, friendships and, and relationships in the culture. Um, and there's a, there's a ton more to say about friendship, right? I mean, I mentioned earlier, um, I, I see I see a comment came in from, from Annie McHugh about um, friendship being a, a lost art in our culture, right? And that young people are sometimes labeled gay just because they're close friends with someone of the same sex. Um, and I think she's right on, but it also kind of goes back to what I said earlier about like how we show affection is largely cultural, right? Right. Like sometimes as Christians, we want to like, we want to narrow those guardrails for ourselves, which is actually how a lot of ancient heresies operated that we have special knowledge and our mm -hmm. idea of what doctrine is should be more narrow. Um, but the reality is that a lot of these things that we think are right or wrong are actually just culturally based. And we can move those understandings in different directions. So I think that what Annie very wisely points out is that our oversexed culture, right, doesn't just result in um, in people who are sexually pr promiscuous. It actually can result of an isolation of people, right? Because sexuality can also is very um, personal and entering into some sexual relationship makes us really vulnerable. So if the world is kind of oversex, if sexuality is very present in all of our relationships and all around us, then we can actually isolate from other people as a matter of fear to say, well, I don't want to get close to that other guy because I don't, I don't know what that's going to say about me, or I don't know what mixed messages I'm going to send him because sex is just like so permeated in, in, in the world. And again, like kind of going back to that too much, too little thing, I think it's not a matter of like creating more boundaries and boxes and more fear and it, but it's just to talk more about sexuality. And, and again, like just go back to talking more about intimacy and, 
and um and that like it's okay like to have a, a you know a really close guy friend and if you're a parent of a of a young kid who has a you know i think there's little ways that we manifest this to not make comments you know or or be suspicious or ask weird questions of the kid you know you know just to to affirm that like oh it's so beautiful that like you have this really good friend and like that's awesome um and and i so yeah i think friendship is is super important uh, even in marriage, that's, you know, not something that, that we forsake. We need friendships outside of um, marriage. And I certainly have super close male friends. And that's a huge way that I've like integrated my desire for male intimacy into my adult life and into my vocation of marriage. And my wife is super supportive of that. There's no, um, there's no kind of like jealousy or suspicion there or anything. Right. Um, because she's super hip to the idea that like, we all need intimacy. You know, she goes and has a prayer group with, uh, some ladies that she spends time, you know, that she works with. Um, she has a, her sister that she's super close to people that she talks late at night on the phone with. And, you know, and so do I have like super close guy friends, um, some who are straight and some who are not. And our friendship is, um, in a lot of ways, just super normal, but is also like really fulfilling of those like magnetic desires that, that I have. There you go. There you go, man. More than uh, one or two ways for intimacy. Spice. Look it up, folks. Spice. Anyway, let's we're getting spicy here today. Spicy. Father Pat, let's let's take a let's take a little break there, spicy, spicy Pat. <laughs> I almost went spicy. Yeah, I, think, I think the best part of how you uh, shared. But you know, by taking us through those, you know, different walks. Did you just spell out the S? You spell out yes. Yeah. I'm gonna send messages. If you look at, you know, the 45th minute, you know, he's giving us, you know, subtle hints. Um, I'd say that every single one of those walks of life that you just mentioned, not only is capable of achieving an appropriate integrated intimacy, but we're all called to live the life of, of virtue too. At the same time, we're all called to live the life of chastity. So every, every married couple is, is, is shooting for that goal. Um, every person of faith is, you know, um, striving for that goal, you know, um, building ourselves up, building the kingdom within so that we can build the kingdom without. And yeah. uh, that's that shared common ground. You know, I, I feel like finding the common ground is like the the tricky part of the conversation because there's there's a lot that divides you know um i gotta throw a kind of a curveball at you me, Father, you're throwing all these curveballs <laughs> i'm going to me and it comes from a place of um kind of uh shared hurt you know you you do a great job in your um your blog your article about talking about, you know, what you thought went wrong and what you thought went right. And um, I think you even can detect in your writing style the the intimation that um, sometimes some of that stuff that, that went wrong led to, you know, uh, more giftedness, you know, more blessedness in your life. You know, it, it's hard for us to like, completely label things as like this was all bad and this is all but like some people are are so hurt because um because while they're trying to like uphold what the church believes about marriage you know about uh your marriage and all marriages um some some families have been put in this like like 
just this gut wrenching position where they've they've had to sit out, you know, the the marriage um, ceremony or wedding ceremony of their sibling or cousin or you know their loved one, you know, who was um, marrying a person of the same sex. Mm. Um, so how does how does your experience of your your marriage, you know, and the dying to self that that has in, that that has called you to um, your your desire for holiness with your wife, you know, how do you encourage people going through that cross, both the cross of like um, living um, with the the no's that that come with our yeses, right? Because every yes does have an implicit no. You know, I say yes to my vocation of the priesthood, and that means no to some other things, you know, um, I'm not called to marriage, right? Uh, So how how would you how would you pastor someone who's going through um, that kind of agony? Yeah, so you're talking about someone who, like, it finds themselves like a sexual minority or same sex attracted or whatever, right? Because you were talking, or or just or a relative, or anyone touched by, okay want to love their relative and want to be there and close yeah. and support their relative, but without like, you know, um, approving, you know, that their, uh, their choice to enter into a same sex marriage or something like that, but still have that desire to be present to, cause that, that, that's a pain, you know, of accompaniment as well. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I think it's, there's so many conversations, right. That we could have around, all those issues. And I think that, um, you know, I think first of all, it's to go back to kind of what I was saying before about entering into these conversations with a sense of humility um, and, and courage and honesty. I think that um, if you're, um, because I think a lot of these things are incredibly loaded and we go into these conversations with preconceived notions sometimes of, of, what's right and what's wrong. And again, like what's orthodox or unorthodox and, and, um, and, and that's on, on kind of both sides of the equation. So someone who would, who would advise you go to the wedding or don't go to the wedding. Like both of those are absolutes, right. Or, um, and have strong judgments or, or whatever. And, and the reality is, is that like, you know, that question, for example, is, is, is one of conscience in addition to, to pastoral accompaniment. And, and, and so it's not one that like, I can give an answer to directly um, for, for any one person. Um, but I think that um, I, I, I also want to point back to, as a foundation, you're highlighting the idea that like um, that the commonality between all of our states of life is, um, is also sacrifice. Right. And so I think too, like, what I thought when you were talking about, like, as a priest, you know, there's certain things that I give up. Like, it's also not just marriage and not just sex. Like, you give up a lot of other things, right, to, to be a priest. And, and and even specifically, like, outside of your vocation broadly, the way that God calls you to minister means saying, you know, no to some kind of work or um, geographic closeness maybe to, to someone who you had to move away from or whatever. Like, there's, there's all kinds of ways that God constantly calls us um, – ultimately to something greater that he has planned for us. Right. And, and it can feel like a dying to ourselves and it can feel like a no to ourselves. Um, And a lot of times I think, you know, for example, there's a lot of issues within this conversation that I don't know the answers to. 
um, even even things that affect my own life. And a lot of times I have to really, as kind of cheesy as it kitsch as it might sound, like walk in faith. And um, and there's certain obviously I seek out greater understanding and greater closeness with with the Lord and His desire for my life. But there are times where I take the teaching of the church mm -hmm. at its word, or you know, or the call to conscience by a mentor or something. Um, because I don't understand. And then there are other times that I form my conscience the best I can and trust my conscience and the righteousness of, of, of that, which the church um, asks us to do as well, right? I think that's Pope Francis, I, I don't want to confidently say where, but I, I think recently um, talked about that, that like um, the person is not um, to be kind of controlled by these absolutes, but is, you know, just re he reaffirmed like the idea of conscience, we have responsibility to form it, but then also people have have the um, responsibility to act according to that conscience, and not just by um, like political mandates, for example, and to holden to be beholden to a political party, for example. Um, so, so I think that um, to kind of get to your question, like how would I pastor those people? I think that to make all of that much simpler. Um, I'll speak first to somebody, you know, like a relative of someone who, who has this experience and would highlight the idea of humility. So as you go into, as you would go into these conversations with your family member or even prayer um, or, or a conversation with a spiritual mentor, um, really do some self-reflection um, and try to determine um, what's in your, what all is in your heart. What are the fears? Um, what are the hopes? Um, what are the disappointments? And just be really honest with yourself about those things. Because if you are talking about a loved one who you want to accompany, um, you know, along the along their journey of faith toward the will of God for their life, um, then it's not about you, right, or your agenda. And that's not to say that God can't work through our own hearts or speak. The Holy Spirit can't move through us, but we also have to kind of weed out what is what is of the Holy Spirit inspiring us, and what is of fear and and pride and 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 um, nervousness or even scrupulosity. And so I think just taking some time to to reflect before sending that text message or posting that Facebook post or um, or getting coffee with that with that person. Uh, even if it's just a breath that you have to take before responding to someone before you and just try to try to bring yourself into that place of like, this isn't about me. Let me not try to automatically react. And that's really a safe, um, uh, a kind of like safety check is just to not be immediately reactive. Right. But to try to at least start from a place of listening. And Pope Francis has affirmed that over and over again in his writings. Right. He talks about accompaniment. Um, and the and the art of listening, um, and and the importance of listening, and, and has a lot in his writings. Um, advises us of the practical ways to do that, but ultimately it has to begin with this attitude. What he describes as removing our sandals before the sacred ground of the other, and so we can often look at other people as a project, um, as as someone that we need to like fix or convince of something. Um, and that leads to like a lot of fear and nervousness over like, oh, I might not be able to do that. Or what happens if I don't do that? But the reality is not only is that other person a sacred life separate from your agenda, but they're also God's child. Even if they're your own biological child, the even higher reality is that they're the Lord's. 
And so, so start from that place of humility and also trust in the Lord's capacity to work in their life. Um, and to people who might share my experience, have same-sex desires or identify as, as gay or lesbian or, or queer or trans or whatever, um, I kind of will echo what I said in my essay. And that is regardless of where you are in your journey of faith or, or journey of integration and, and humanity and sexuality is that the church can be a home for you. Um, you know, and, and we can be honest about what the teachings of the church are and what we, we are called to as Catholic Christians, how, how we um, believe that the Lord calls us to live out our, our, um, our, ex our whole experience of sexuality. There are certain ways that we are called and that honor him that, um, but we can, and, and we should, and we should be honest about those things. Um, but we can also, um, there's also great freedom and great grace and great peace um, in intimacy and in a relationship with, with the Lord. Um, you know, I found that in my experience, not just in my marriage or my friendships. Um, but I mean, really, if you're, if you're at all a person of faith, um, who believes that, you know, there's a God who's like calling us to eternal life, then like, just walk with us, you know, and be patient with, with us because we're all headed to that. We're all headed to that like ultimate intimacy with, with God. And, um, it's never going to be enough, you know, nothing, even the person who has the most beautiful marriage or the most pleasurable sex, the most amazing friendship group, like it's, it's never going to compare. So, so if you're, you know, wherever you are, like, just, just come be with us. I love you. I know these guys probably would love you if they met you too. And, um, so, so that's, that's what I'll say. Maybe not. Maybe I do. Maybe. <laughs> I know Josh is working on me. He doesn't want to convince all these strangers. Now too. Yeah. We're, we're, we're three minutes up. We're going to, we're going to go in the final stretch, but first I'm not letting father pack it out. So this podcast would not be, be possible without the lovely supporters, uh, who are patrons or who are on our Patreon page. And, uh, so father Pat, how do we thank them and how do we encourage the listener or the viewer to become a patron on our Patreon page do this in a, uh, I don't know, old Irish accent. You know, go ahead. Well, we have to say thank you to all of those who have given of themselves and have reached into their own pockets, especially those who have experienced at some point some kind of aches and pains of trying to make ends meet. Thank you for your support. You don't have to understand how Patreon works in order to use the Patreon. It's there for all of us to use. And I'll say that I use the Patreon but not in the way that you're expecting. And I do indeed appreciate that so many people are our supporters. There you go. Are you all right? This guy sounded like he was on his last leg. <laughs> this guy was out. He's like, this guy was, so like, was one breath. How <laughs> was that? Oh my gosh. Is it? Sounds like a robotic Swede. <laughs> robotic Swedish. Just Stop. for you, Owen. We're Just going down. 
I'll record your voicemail. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But no, seriously, folks, if you like what you hear and you want to be a part of the journey and with exclusive content um, by Father Pat, which is coming, and now Anthony, I'm gonna add uh, anything after this. We're gonna we're gonna put up there too uh, on the on the uh, Patreon content. So definitely, definitely, definitely subscribe and and enter into that. Whether it's three dollars, five dollars, your, your coffee, your seven, your fifteen, your thirty, um, you get a a a holy ruckus mug, a little T-shirt, a little deep V-neck. However you like it, that's what we're doing at the holy ruckus. And here we are at the last stretch. It's seven o'clock. Father Pat, let's look through some of these questions. Let's see. There was a really good one here by Marisol. Marisol Lopez says, how do I speak? I don't know. Uh, I'm just reading this. How do I speak to someone in my family dealing? Um, there's no, no. Uh, How do I speak with someone in my family dealing with uh, same-sex attraction or uh, any other LGBTQ uh, folks? Go ahead. I imagine this is for you, Tony, because. Yeah. 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 No, this is a this is a great question. And we kind of started to talk about like just the the kind of attitude of humility to take. Right. But um, so I think, you know, whether you're a pastor, a parish leader, just friend or family member, um, you know, it's it's important to know, first of all, it's okay to not know immediately what to say. Um, you know, especially if someone like is initially like coming out to you, this is chances are. um this was like a really big step for them to open up um, to you about this part of their life. Um, so just try to like, listen, listen to their voice, read their body language, um, understand how they might be feeling in the moment. Um, you know, try to try to build that sense of empathy. Um, and you might, depending on what they share and, and how they, how they appear to feel, you might say something like, Oh, that took a lot of courage to share with me. You know, thank you for trusting me with that. Um, and try not to like ask a bunch of questions right right off the bat. Sometimes curiosity can show that you share in the right context. Um, but people should also like be given the space to share their life at a pace that's comfortable um, for them. So you could say something like, "I'm here to listen whenever you want to talk." Um, you know, and and a lot of times those kinds of things, even though they seem like oh like that's not an answer to my question. Like I want to talk with them. A lot of times that kind of empathy and those invitations can actually give people a type of permission to open up more and to share more and to ask you questions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to, and so you have to start from that, that space of, of building trust, you know, affirming people, even family members, a lot of time we assume like, Oh, they know I love them. They know whatever, but we have to say those things, you know, you know, I still love you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, the person here to judge you or even tell you what to do, you know, I'm here to listen and, and, you know, how can I, how can I help? Um, so, so I think just starting there is, is important. Go ahead real quick, father. You have a bat. <laughs> can you give us, can you give us an example of something going poorly or badly? Like, don't do that. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Um, someone doing it badly, trying to like help you or deal with you or. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things. I mean, one, one I mentioned in my, in my essay where I was, I was in, um, when I was in college, I was in this like formation program, um, where it was like a discernment program for people thinking, young guys thinking about becoming a priest. And, um, this topic came up with the formation director and all of a sudden he just like launched, it was like a free association, I think for him into like, uh, def defining like a, what a pedophile and a pederast is. And like, and I mean, there's a huge conversation about like why we associate those things to begin with. 
Um, but, but I think that it was really just for him was like, they were associated and he just started talking. Maybe he was uncomfortable. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, sometimes people in a sexual minority are like lumped into this like sexual deviance category. Um, you know, and it's, and it's especially painful, especially in this time where, um, we're still dealing with the, the sex abuse scandal and, um, you know, not only like current behavior, but all the ripples from it and stuff. And so, as a faithful person who would like never dream of engaging in that behavior and has a completely different experience than, than those um, perpetrators, it's, it's really painful to be lumped into that. Um, but that's a lot of people um, do that. Another thing I know from a, a friend who had this experience um, who went to a, a spiritual advisor when, uh, when a family member came out to them and the, the spiritual advisor said first, well, uh, I don't really, I'm not an expert. I don't really know a lot about, this topic or, or what to say, but then very confidently advise the person, well, if they enter into a romantic relationship, you sh cannot have them over for dinner. And I just thought that was <laughs> the most insane thing. Um, first of all, and being paired with like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to give you a really strong piece of advice. Um, and then especially just because it seems so unbiblical to me, even if you think someone uh, that this is like the height of sin, um, to think that you shouldn't dine with sinners considering our Lord and Savior did just that all throughout scripture. And so, uh, so, so I, I think, read that one. I think that one. so I think, I think we got to go back to basics sometimes and just like, remember, it's not just all mushy gushy. It's like, let's follow the example of our Lord. It's very biblical. So, um, there you go. yeah. So counter to that, what has helped you and what are some resources coming from the church from the Catholic church that you, or even, even not just in, in the umbrella Christianity, like what are some things that, that you've really latched onto as a, uh, you mentioned eat an invitation. If you want to give yeah. a little that, what do you got for someone that may be listening or that knows somebody feeling? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so I, I gave, I gave these negative examples, but of course, you know, I had a, a wonderful youth minister growing up who, um, you know, when I kind of talked about, about, my experience of being bisexual with her, uh, her initial response was, you know, cause well, specifically I said, you know, oh, I was really hurt by this thing that someone said. And I said, how is this supposed to help? What am I going to do? I don't know. And she just said, I don't know. And it seems really dumb. Like you, like many people might think that they failed in that moment, but to me that like the humility that she had and the, like the, yeah, the humility to come into an interaction and just admit to someone, I don't know. But it was in her tenor too that was like, I feel you. Like, I'm sorry, I'm here. You know, all I heard all of that um, in the way that she talked to me. And so, so again, I think like, and that's my experience, right? That made a huge difference for me to know that a person in leadership in ministry um, had my back and 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 you know was a was a confidant. And we remained close for a long time. And um, so, I really appreciated that accompaniment in terms of resources. Unfortunately, there's not this like huge wealth of like orthodox pastoral Catholic resources that, that I'm aware of and would personally endorse. But but there are um, some things I would definitely point point people to a ministry um, called Eden Invitation that you mentioned. Um, they're founded by other um, alum, alumni of Franciscan University, where you and I, Josh, graduated from. Um, they're incredibly faithful and intentional in the resources they, they and community that they develop. 
Um, so they have some videos on their Facebook page in terms of those of you asking for like practical ways to engage sexual minorities, stuff that came out of um, like how do what do we do during Pride Month and stuff. Um, and uh, but they also do a lot of like community development. So if this is if you're identify as you know, lesbian, gay, same-sex attracted, queer, trans, and um, and are and are Catholic or even Christian, and and want to find community with other um, with other faithful. Head over to Eden Invitation. They do um, seasonal like book clubs. They have a you know other ways that they gather for community, um, and so feel free to to connect with them. They host retreats and stuff too, uh, sometimes. Um, another a couple books I might recommend reading. Um, one is by a Catholic. Um, Eve Tushnet, who's also local to DC here, oh, where where Josh and I are at, she is involved at, um, along with some others with the ministry at the Cathedral of St. Matthew downtown. She wrote a, an awesome book called um, Gay and Catholic, so I would definitely um, recommend that. Um, another uh, book by a Catholic that I I know has been kind of like controversial um is building a bridge by father james martin we don't we don't talk about him here (laughs) i find it i find it really unfortunate i I find it really unfortunate that you know at least that book is so controversial because it's actually um kind of very basically talks about you know kind of what i was getting at in terms of this approach to conversation and dialogue and it's really um I think it's actually really revolutionary in the way that it speaks to both people in the church engaging in this conversation from the outside and people in the the LGBT community, maybe even those, um, you know, outside of, uh, you know, who are kind of outside of the church um, or feel outside of the church teaching um, how they should engage each other in dialogue. And that's solely what it's about. That's solely its purpose is to engage them to, to dialogue better. And so I think it's a, a worth the read. Um, a couple others I would recommend too. Um, one is this guy is not Catholic, but um, I think if you can if you can navigate that well, it's a really great. Um, it's by Wesley Hill. It's called Washed and Waiting. Um, he has some other books. Um, I think he was the one who wrote Spiritual Friendship, um, but he's a great um, uh, author in the what what kind of another way to talk about um, LGBT Christians is this like side B people LGBT Christians who subscribe to a traditional sexual ethic. Um, so he's a big leader in the side B community. So that would definitely be worth reading. Um, obviously you can find my essay, um, on the Holy Ruckus and on, on my website. The last book I want to recommend just because it's a different, very different thing. I just saw before I got on with you guys on my bookshelf, um, is the biography of a guy named father Michael judge. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of him. Um, the, the vast majority of the, of the biography and of his story is about, um, his his discernment, his life becoming a priest and working um, as a as a Franciscan and as chaplain um, to the um, fire and I think fire department in in New York City. He was the first recorded um, casualty on 9/11. There's a really beautiful picture of him being carried on a chair by firemen out of the um, out of Ground Zero, and um, and he he had a beautiful life, was an awesome witness, and a small part of his life was that. Um, you know, he, he was same-sex attracted or however he defined it. There's some controversy in corners of the internet of, of people who don't want that to be a part of his story, but it is. And I think what's really important is that you know, he did ministry with LGBT Christians. And when there was um, a desire from some of his like superiors and bishops and stuff to 
to change how he was doing ministry that he didn't necessarily even maybe understand or maybe even agree with. He followed what he was faithful to that, to that vow of obedience um, and continued to have a deep love and, and minister to those people um, even, even in the midst of kind of the pain of, of following those orders. And I just think that's like so needed is not only um, someone who had that experience, who has a beautiful radical witness, but also someone who just like navigated something that, I don't know, they may or may not have like really subscribed to, but like walked in faith as I was kind of talking about. Um, so I think really beautiful story. It was really inspiring to me when I read, and then I, there's a documentary um, called The Saint of 9-11 about his life as well. So definitely recommend that, especially to people who who have this experience, um, identify as LGBT or same-sex attracted, check out Father Michael Judge. Um, yeah. I got one more, and this is my, my last one. I don't know if Father has anything after this, but um, sometimes, I mean, I, I look at the way the church is evangelizing, and I look at the way we go about certain issues and certain topics, and maybe uh, to the ball game or, or just arriving or we're a little slow on how to, you know the theory and everything is all there. It's it's all there in in in, in scripture and and what we have in Revelation and, and I don't know just an embarrassment of riches kind of thing. We we we're in a good we we have such the potential to to do this and to act on it right. Um, so the ideals are all there, um, but then when it comes to executing, you know we fumble the ball here. Um, and we talked about the the epic fails, but also the resources and things that are coming out that that have been good. For you in, in the accompaniment, um, but I guess for you, what keeps you staying on the boat? You know, what keeps you like? I mean, you know, still rowing and 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 still trusting and and still communing with with the church that um, you know, don't get you or don't want um, or the or these communities. Like, what what is it like um, that keeps you going? Yeah, I think it's a um... Another really good question, right? Because um, there has been, I mean, even, even um, you know, sharing this essay, you know, you get a call from somebody and, you know, it wasn't received the way you want it to be received or, um, you know, share something on Facebook and you get some weird comments or whatever. Um, but even just historically, I mean, there's been times in my life where I've been asked not to share um, about this part of my life, you know, um, again, from people who I think were just fearful of, of what that would mean, how other people would react. And, um, and, and it is, um, I mean, yeah, to be honest, to, to kind of rise to your, to your question, it is really painful and it is really tough. And I think, um, I think to call people to task, actually, I'd say we need to be really honest about that, about what kind of environment we are creating for people, um, who have a different experience than us. Um, because, it comes to a point in, in spiritual community where if you, you know, and, and, and this is not a perfect parallel at all, but I mean, we segregated historically a lot of like the black Catholic church into their own parishes. Right. And that was their coping mechanism in a sense, or what they were allowed in order to survive as like, as, as faithful within the church. And you kind of box people in when you create a radically unhospitable environment to either um, to either leave, um, to segregate themselves, um, or to feel as if they're in an abusive relationship, right? Because a lot of people, with my experience, like still have this great desire, um, you know, to to be with the Lord, to be in, and also to be in, just to be in community, 
right? And it starts to feel like, oh man, why am I still hanging out with these people who just keep hurting me over and over and over again? And so I want to just like first say that we have to be honest with ourselves about the environment, you know, how we accompany people has really radical ramifications. It's it's all about the environment within the church community that we create. And that human community is how Christ is or is not made manifest to our brothers and sisters. Um, for myself, why I stay in spite of that is, first of all, that's not my reality all the time. I've been hurt by people, but it doesn't mean that I'm I'm always hurt or that that idea of an abusive relationship is a one-to-one comparison at all. There's um, even people who have not done things pers- uh, perfectly um, have also um, given me a lot of really beautiful support as well. And I've been able to be merciful with them um, and given them the benefit of the doubt that we're all trying to kind of navigate and understand and grow in our capacity for walking um, our journey of faith and also accompanying other people who we don't share an experience with. And that can be difficult. Um, so I think that's one thing is just is, is trying to be grow in humility myself. Um, and, uh, and I think seeking healing in community, I mean, that's something like I mentioned, um, having more community with other LGBTQ Christians, um, in particular, because they understand those experiences of pain. And I think just like you would get together with like, just like you would get together with a support group of people who have a, a similar experience of pain with you to, to help in your healing process. That's part of what that community um, affords me is like a feeling of, of healing and of, and of hope um, that we have a place in the church. But I would love to see more of those people be empowered and feel comfortable being open about their witness um, with, um, with everyone. But I think ultimately, like I mentioned earlier, is this desire um, to be with the Lord. I mean, I just, I believe that the faith is true and I, I want the community to be something that isn't in itself a cross, um, but feels like an Easter celebration. Right. Um, and that because, because life offers us enough crosses that the community of the church should itself not be a cross, but should be a place of grace where the Holy Spirit dwells and refreshes us. And and so I hope for that. And I do find that often. Um, but ultimately I follow Christ, you know, wherever, wherever he leads me. And, um, and more often than not, I've, I've um, had a lot of, a lot of peace, even in the most difficult of moments. Awesome, man. Beautiful. Father Pat, anything as we close it out? Another thanks. Just thanks, thanks for uh, giving us this uh, this part of your yourself and and for uh, joining us today. I hope it's not the last time. Um, I expect it won't be the last time, especially because there's many other things that we share in common that uh, I know we'd make a good episode out of. So uh, I would love it. I'll be back anytime. You guys are great hosts. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, I'm not letting you go that easy though. Before we go. Uh, also in your bio, you didn't include this, but uh, I'm going to throw it in there. Uh, Tony, y- you were a stand-up comedian? Or oh, gosh. A stand-up comedian? Yeah, yeah I, have, I have been known to do some stand-up comedy. Yeah, job, like okay. Go ahead and uh, make us laugh. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, come on, Pat. Come on. You're, you're giving me like a dance monkey command? Is that? Oh, yeah. <sighs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Let me think. Let me think. I did. Yeah, I did do some stand-up bits in, uh, or some stand-up shows in, in DC. Uh, oh, that was like a rough scene. Oh, uh, 
uh, at some moments, man. Oh, that was did. that was not um, that was not easy. And I'm stalling right now, pretending like I'm being nostalgic for those moments, thinking <laughs> no, of it's okay. thinking of a bit. Um, uh, Everybody's got a joke, right? You, you've got to have. Oh man, you know what? I am not a I'm not a like Mitch Hedberg comedian. I don't have like one liners. I'm I'm like a I'm like a storyteller, you know. So I gotta have that 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 good that good story. But um, another podcast. Yeah, you know what? I'll 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 get I gotta prep something and I'll I'll come back. But awesome, awesome, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) you've been listening to and watching the Holy Buckets podcast, Father Pat. Uh, Tony Yasser and myself, you've been beautiful. You've been great. Thanks so much for the comments in the comment section. Um, do us a favor, go ahead and give us a five star review. Give us a like on the interwebs about uh, the podcast if you like it. Uh, if you like this podcast, we got more coming. Uh, we got a marriage podcast, podcast now another marriage podcast called um, the uh, the one you gave me play on Genesis, and we also have uh, Father Dan Leary and Kevin Wells podcast called one-to-one about uh missionary uh missionary priest uh journey that he's on uh over in mexico anything else father pat be good to your people i hope you weather this storm we could even see like the the lightning flashing at you uh, on your camera okay, there we got a hurricane in the in the east coast uh, <laughs> anything any anywhere else we can find you aside from uh the holy ruckus tony me? Oh, I thought you were talking. Yeah, you can find me the Holy Rockets. You can find me on uh, on my website anthonyesser.com on um on Facebook. Uh, I'm at uh, uh, Anthony Esser Photography and Design. So that's my graphic design page. And uh, um, but yeah, hopefully be doing more. I put out some videos with the Holy Rockets and uh, love to to be on again. Like I said, better with you. Check out our our nine wonderful episodes and maybe we'll release some more friendship content in the future. I'm sure there, there are shows that had that kind of run before. So, you know, it's all good. That, that were just, that's, that's the, I just, that's the pod fade, man. That's what they call it. It's like seven to nine episodes. Okay. For, for I thought when I got past seven, I was like doing it. And then after nine, I was like, Oh, oh no, it, it, you didn't get that runner's high, that podcast high. No, it, no, man. I was, it, that was tough. I was producing that thing like it was an NPR podcast <laughs> while I was like working full time. I was like, it's tough, man. Nine episodes, tough. One less than uh, another hit show that only had like 10 episodes, Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies on, on Disney Plus. So, well, good company then. Yes, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for listening, hanging out with us. The Holy Buckets Podcast. Ah, your favorite podcast, favorite podcast. Buenas noches. Good night, good night. Hit us up. Peace. <laughs>